0: What's up guys, welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor, my name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up folks, today we're extremely privileged to be joined by Tejas Monaher, co-founder and co-CEO at Hightouch. When he was only 10 years old, his parents bought him a laptop for getting 100% on his Tennessee State exam. He discovered coding and started building apps for his friends. At the age of 15, Tejas scored a software engineering internship at HubSpot, building an automated interview scheduler that's still used today. He then joined Lottery.com as the first engineer, leading a full-stack team and building their backend web and mobile apps. And still only 16, he became an early engineer at Segment, where he would spend three and a half years working on different product teams, from sources to warehouses, and finally personas, where he managed the whole platform team. In June 2019, he left Segment to pursue entrepreneurship, and today, Tejas is the co-founder and co-CEO of Hightouch, a reverse ETL platform to move customer data from your warehouse. And other sources to business team tools. Hundreds of companies use Hightouch today, including Spotify, the NBA, GameStop, TripAdvisor, and GitLab. Tejas, uh, thanks for taking the time today. Uh, super pumped to have you on.
1: Bill, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, it's an honor to be on here uh, with all sorts of other influential folks around marketing technology and data. Uh, an honor to be speaking with you. First off, I just want to say I don't think our, our team or myself sent you any preparation on my background. So, I'm very, very impressed by what you've been able to dig up here and it's an exciting start to the show.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I, I pride myself on the 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 PI background or the the snooping ability I have in uh, on social, just like uh, doing some some fun queries on uh, Twitter advanced search and uh, finding some of your your earlier posts. So yeah, I was happy to to discover some of the the early journey and how young you were when when you got your start there. I was joking with uh my co-host who who couldn't make it today, but he uh, he and I were talking about like what we were doing when we were sixteen years old, and I was like selling popcorn at a movie theater, and you were building one of the leading package CDPs for marketers today, which is crazy.
1: Yeah. I think what's crazier is that um funny to look back. I actually joined Segment after being one of their earliest customers at mm-hmm. an internship a couple of years ago in Tennessee. So, um, yeah, i spent a while on the CDP space, to, to say the least, uh, despite my, my age. I think I might joke that I, I did uh, customer data platforms in, in, instead of high school. So.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I'd love to hear the story of like how the reverse ETL idea came uh, to be at high touch. I know that like when you first left segment, your first product was actually a startup called carry in the corporate travel space. And then later when you did launch high touch, it was initially a platform to allow teams to talk to their customers over Slack. What led you back to your segment roots to reverse ETL and and pivot debt back to, to that data space? Yeah. Great question. Great question. So
1: the story when it comes to startups is, is never as simple as it, as it seems online. You know, it's, it's obviously a beautiful story to say that I I left high edge in the next, sorry, left segment, um, in the consumer data platform space in the very next day, I was working on a new, you know, a new approach to seeing pieces. Um, and that's part of the story. You know, the reason I left uh, segment initially, um, was not just, Due to my interest in pursuing entrepreneurship, it was a big part of it, startups, obviously. But it was also due to predictions for kind of where the customer data space space is headed. And Mm -hmm. I I didn't think it was headed in the the right direction to be the standard way that companies were going to manage their customer data across the board. I wasn't wasn't super bullish on it becoming that standard long-term she um, foresaw things like an acquisition and stuff like that yeah. happening to Segment and many of the other players in the space. So that was part of my reasoning for leaving. But you're right. I worked in a travel company after, uh, after Segment initially for the first uh, eight or nine months um, prior to, to COVID starting, when I realized mm-hmm. that wasn't a good idea anymore. <laughs> uh, not only is travel already, I think, one of the absolute hardest industries to start a company and it's very difficult industry to, to found a company, low margins, you know, you can, you think you can build just a software to manage travel bookings, but it's a, a massive human operation as well. Um, from a support perspective, interacting with all the third parties and, and just a you know, very price sensitive customers, even if they do have a lot of spending power. Yeah. Um, so I'm a price sensitive traveler and I'm not going to buy, by the, the next upgrade. Uh, so it's a very difficult industry, and um, COVID is obviously a horrible thing, but it's a blessing disguised for our business, um, as Kishish and I, and my co-CEO and co-founder, decided to team up with our other friend, uh, Josh, who is now our CTO here at Hi-Tish, um, and go back to our roots in the data and the customer data space and pursue some old ideas we had uh, while I was back at Segment, um, and COVID gave us the opportunity to, to shut down our... Early but growing yeah. travel business and and take a full pivot and, and pursue those other ideas. So,
0: very cool. Yeah, uh, I had a hunch that looking at like the timing that COVID might might have played a role and the, the not demise to carry, but like the the opportunity to kind of like rethink and and and, and go back Starting to senior me. routes there. Yeah,
1: for a lot yeah. of startup founders it did. Uh, right. For us in the travel industry, it especially did. But there's not a lot of occasions where you know. Your metrics just go from something to uh zero in the midst of a week when US you know releases uh, quarantines. And sure there was maybe some some casual travels in that that week in March, but uh no business travel was happening when the US announced a new quarantine. So you know, the metrics for revenue went absolutely to zero uh that week and the metrics for customer support uh, went to the moon and uh, you know, that that's not a business that uh, the environment that a seed state startup can start a business in. But let's just say a few years later, very thankful to have made the pivot back into the, the data and customer data space because there's just so much exciting stuff happening here. So
0: yeah, I'd love to dig into. Uh, I know that, like, you guys introduced uh, the term composable CDP. Uh, you talked about this idea of like doing it during a webinar with with Snowplow around the idea uh, that in the time that you guys pivoted. Walk us, walk us through that that story. Great question.
1: And yeah, again, thank you for digging this up. Not many people know about the origins of this term. But yeah, I you know, HiTech was co-responsible, one of the two companies I think responsible for this uh, composable CDP term actually us and another company that doesn't offer a activation or CDP solution, Sopa, one of our great partners at Hightech, Love that company. Love that team. We actually, I just, I remember the exact time we were brainstorming with them and coming up for what's a term for this new architecture, right? Because we weren't calling it anything related to CDP prior to prior to that webinar, but we felt that with the marketing audience, it was important to tell them that this is a new way of solving CDP use cases and make that really clear. But it was hard to find a term, but composable was the one we said a lot. It is the term for the space. Do I have some regrets around the word? Yes. It's a bit confusing, <laughs> to be honest. But those was the term CDP and a lot of terms in Mars, heck, aren't they? Uh, like, what's a, what's a marketing cloud? It's a good question, right? Or an engagement platform versus an ESP. But yeah, the reason that we uh, pursued this concept of a composable CDP in the first place comes from speaking to enterprises and mid larger mid-market companies and the world's, the world's largest enterprises. Time and time again, and we spoke with them in the early phases of of of, of building high touch, And there was just two things happening. A lot of, one, a lot of purchasing of CDPs. Everyone wanted the vision of a CDP in their company. They all wanted to be able to have their marketers freely self-serving, understanding their customers, exploring their data, building audiences, and then to deploying those personalizations to the customer journeys across every channel and every tool in the marketing stack, whether it's you know, lifecycle or advertising or push notifications or in your app or whatever it is. But at the same time, a deep dissatisfaction with the state of the solutions today. Um, I think you don't have to, you know, trust my words on this. Gartner conveniently released a report for us, which actually Uh, said, not for us, they released a report to the public that said, 60% of customers who purchase a a CDP aren't getting value from it. Their marketing Mm -hmm. team isn't getting value from it. Um, So that is the reason that we started High Touch. And that's the reason that, you know, we have evangelized uh, so much online and and, in conferences and marketing and with our customers, this idea that, yes, you want a CDP, you really do. But there's a new way of thinking about this, that it's a lot more likely to be successful and allow your marketers to use data across the organization. And that's a way where uh, marketing can access all the data that large companies are already investing in, in their data warehouse, uh, and start activating that across the customer journeys.
0: Very cool. I like that you guys are focused on the marketer as like the the ICP or or your target user. Uh, I know that like uh, some of the other players in the CDP space uh, focus on like IT teams or like maybe more old school like IS teams and uh, some other category are like focusing on data teams. But I like the lens that you guys have of marketers because even though like there's other people coming to the table and deciding what that like data stack powering marketing tools is going to look like, ultimately it is the marketer who is the end user who's going to be using this tool so like he's definitely in the b2b space like one of the decision makers probably the champion persona in that like buying decision but yeah i've seen like other folks talk about it as instead of composable cdp like you said you you regret the term a little bit some folks just call it like they the do. unbundled cdp like they they see segment as like the bundled CDP, like the all-in-one package CDP, and then tools like you and and other uh, players in that component space are just like under the umbrella of like unbundled CDPs.
1: Yeah, and unbundled, I'm not a big fan of the term. You know what? What's the value of a bundled versus an unbundled solution? Who cares, right? It's about what's the outcomes you can drive with this thing from a business perspective, and is it going to work for your company and the architecture that your company is either in today or investing in the future. And the trend we're seeing across the board is that regardless of whether marketing has the ability to activate their data at your company, there's probably an investment in putting data into these data warehouses, using it in BI tools, everything from Microsoft Power BI and SAS all the way to you know, the newer tools on the block like Looker and Mode. Like, there's probably some sort of internal data initiative going on at your company. And um, there's a huge potential to allow marketing teams to start activating the data that you already have across your business and for solutions that help you activate your data, like high touch or a CDP to be infinitely flexible and not just limited to you know data that was specifically collected for a CDP. Um, and that, that, that's the value to customers. And um, that's you know, that was kind of the defi- that definition we were trying to go with behind the word composable. So, uh, you know, the idea of working with what you have and scaling with kind of like the, the technologies of the future versus being some rigid off the shelf thing that you need to do everything the CDP way, the segment way, the Salesforce way. We know that we know that ever works in part. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's a, it's a, it's a tough term, you know, don't blame people for being confused by it. So.
0: Yeah. Like as a marketer, like chatting with marketers, especially like some that like wouldn't be a bit on like the the technical side of of marketing, but like oftentimes they'll still be part of that decision-making committee when it comes to BCP or like, how do you activate data? And just like the idea of uh, like talking about them about the the benefits or the potential of instead of going with the all-in-one package solution, we can also like have the route where there's composable point solutions that still make up the same power, but has more flexibility, like you mentioned there a little bit. Uh, walk through like uh, for the listeners, what in your opinion are like the, the best arguments for the benefits of going the composable route versus the package route?
1: Yeah, 100%. Great question. So, um, yeah, it's really, it's really a simple few things. Uh, I think the way to think about it is that, um, CDPs by design. So the traditional customer data platforms, um, they can only operate off of data that was built for them. Right. So, uh, if you want to use a CDP like segment or particle or Salesforce CDP, Adobe CDP, they're, they're all really similar architecturally. Actually architecturally, they're pretty much the same as an ESP or for engagement platform, um, you have to track your data using their SDKs um, or even if they support like some sort of warehouse connectivity, you have to reformat your data into their format. So segment, companies like that have a definition of here's what a user should look like, here's what an added to cart event should look like, here's what a uh, checkout event should look like, here's how these things should be represented. Um, and once you do that, if you do that all perfectly, now you can start. Your marketers can start building cool audiences. They can start activating things across their channels. And you can do all the stuff that marketing talks about, right? You can use data across your organization. Um, in reality, the big challenge is, is the first thing I, I highlighted. It's uh, that they can only operate on, on data that they understand. And that was built for them. Um, in a large enterprise, there is a lot of data across the whole business. And two things. One, it's very complex. Every company is unique. And every company has unique sets of data. You know, one of the, the the Fortune 500 companies we work with that we recently spoke with at Snowflake Summit, uh, PetSmart, what's really important to them is not just being able to understand their users and um, different events that their users are doing, like buying products, but to actually be able to tap into their loyalty system, which has a concept of a pet, where they actually know your pet's birthday, your pet's food preferences, your pet's species. Mm-hmm. And that allows them to personalize the customer and drive Engagement and drive repeat purchases better than their competitors and better than any brand, and that the unique set of data they need to leverage. And they had a really hard time leveraging that in not just CDPs, but any marketing technology solution on the block. You know, they're one of the biggest customers of solutions like Salesforce, and they've had a hell of a hard time to to leverage uh, data in those solutions. Um, uh, but with high touch, um, as we as we talked about at Snowflake Summit. Um, they are able to tap into all the data that their company has that was previously locked away from marketers. the so data from their loyal consistent, data from advertising networks, data from partners that they work with, um, data from their stores, data from their e-commerce, all that data. Um, we have the flexibility for that. And we can also tap into it instantly in the places that already lives, like Snowflake and Databricks um, versus when the traditional CDP huge challenge of you know how do you get this data all into the cdp's format and that challenge while it sounds technical um that's the reason that 60 60 you know, of the cdp initiatives tend to fail and why this new architecture is really novel for the marketer um and allows us to go to the next level which is not just how do we push data around but how do we help you as a marketer run uh, incredible experience e- experiments um and create incredible customer experiences.
0: I love the example you gave of uh, PetSmart there. being a, a customer myself with a with a pet, I definitely see the 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 value in being able to go above and beyond just customizing stuff for the buyer, but also customizing it for the pet and like uh, that whole journey that, that enables uh, some really cool uh, personalization. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I would love for like us maybe to stay in the the definition land a little bit and um, get your take on the legacy slash package CDP, having spent uh, a a bit of time in your career, quite a bit of time uh, at segment one of the leading legacy CDPs, like we talked about, um, how would you define the package CDP and like specifically what are the package components of the legacy CDP. I've become a big fan of, uh, RP Chudri's uh, data beats. Um, he kind of like built a, a really cool blog about trying to educate marketers about data, but also educate data yes. teams about marketing. And he's really like bringing those two teams together. And I think that's a, a really powerful initiative. He has one of the best uh, posts that I've read about, uh, communicating all the components. Um, and I'll link to that in the show notes, but, um, I'll, I'll read out for, for the listeners the first time I'm doing this, like the, the eight package CDP components that he has on his blog posts. And then I'll flip it to you. And uh, I'm curious like, if you agree with the A components, if you think that there's anything you would add in there or remove. But the way he breaks it down is there's a components. So the first one is what we talked about, like the SDKs, the customer data infrastructure to collect first party data event stuff on your website or in your platform. The second piece is ETL, data ingestion, being able to take data from all of your marketing tools that add stuff into uh, your warehouse or like a data storage component. The third one is that data storage component. Um, you talk a lot about it in some of your blog posts about like this zero uh, copy data architecture, the CDP uh, legacy route has a data storage component where they store a copy of all the data that they are collecting. It's like a, it's like a data warehouse basically. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And the fourth one is identity resolution. This one's a, a bit of a a confusing term for, for marketers, but like the way uh, our RP breaks it down is kind of like a solution for tying together various interactions that a customer might be doing across multiple platforms or devices and tying that to like one persona or, or one user the fifth one is audience segmentation. This one's pretty simple, drag and drop UI, building targets and, and segments of your audience based on that event data that you're collecting. The sixth one is the one that high touch plays in uh, the, the most, uh, or at least like from an activation standpoint, the reverse ETL piece, activating and extracting some of that customer data from the warehouse to other business tools. And then seven and eight are kind of like data quality, accuracy, consistency, and, and governance pieces. So... Do you agree with these eight components? What would you add? What would you change here? Like, what what's your perspective here?
1: Great question. There's clearly also an emphasis on a uh, comprehensiveness here. Um, so, uh, if anyone needs to on my previous questions, if anyone wants a more comprehensive view of all the differences between a composable and a package CDP, we have some blog posts on that. But, uh, excellent, excellent question. Um, so, first thing, first thing first. There's a lot of components you mentioned. I think you mentioned eight eight different components of the CDP here. Um, I'll just say I don't particularly disagree or agree or yeah, I don't don't have an opinion on whether these are the components of the CDP. But what I think is most important is that like why do people pursue a CDP in the first place? Mm-hmm. It's so that they can, you know, harness all the data they have about their customers and activate it across their their marketing and to personalize the customer experience and and drive greatest outcomes. So that's the reason companies um, pursue a CDP in the first place, and our vision as a company is to be absolute best on that and uh, continue to innovate there as there's innovations in data and AI and bringing those to the marketer. Um, everything else is kind of ancillary, to be completely honest. Like everything else is a is a means to an end or mm-hmm. you know it's not worth thinking in components or features. Those are just, you know, you have a goal, which is personalization. What components do you need to satisfy that? So, um, it's a great, it's a great question. I generally, yeah, generally agree with the the layout you've, uh, you've proposed. Um, I usually think of it as three core things, which is that you need in a CD, in a typical traditional package CDP, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's a way to collect data. There's a way to do some like data transformation in between. So things like identity resolution and modeling, and then there's a way to activate the data, which usually, you know, has audience building or integrations, et cetera. And um, with the composable CDP approach, really the only difference, in my opinion, composable CDP is that instead of using the CDP, like the off the shelf platform as the middle layer, you get to use your own data warehouse. and that means you can access data from all parts of the business that weren't built for the CDP purpose. Like for example, PetSmart has a loyalty system, which tracks pets. Um, yeah. NBA has tons of analytics systems they've built for like in-game analytics. Uh, and these customers are able to leverage all that data, uh, when activating data with high touch versus a traditional CDP, they would need to rebuild that data for the purpose of the CDP, which is an ongoing endless channel and prevents uh, marketing to be able to use data to the fullest and activate it across the business, um, but yeah, I think the the uh, other components you mentioned are are a big part of uh, any offering in the space. Um, you know, uh, our focus on compliance and privacy and governance has been there from the beginning. Being a company that focuses on the enterprise, so like the logos you mentioned at the beginning, NBA, Warner Music, Petsmart, GameStop, all those types of companies, that's naturally been a focus of ours from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, in addition, uh, when you're serving these really, really large companies, you need to focus on ancillary things like, what if my data and my marketing tool doesn't look right? You know, how do I tell what's going on under the hood? How do I set up alerts um, to, to tell me that something's wrong about the, the data that's coming into um, my systems? Um, and, and, you know, CDPs end up building a lot of functionality around uh, activation for these purposes. Um, but I think activation is the end goal. Um, so I always try to tell marketing technologists to start with the use case and figure out, you know, what are those activations you want to run at your business, um, and then to look at what features you need uh, from that lens versus to to compare solutions from a feature basis uh, first. Because you know, if we if we all wanted software with the most features, so we'd probably buy IBM Unica for for running our market <laughs> marketing operations. And uh, that's what many large companies, you know, like FedSmart and moved off of uh, to purchase Hightouch. So I don't think a feature basis is, is the right is the right way to look at a lot of the software. Just my personal gotcha. take.
0: Yeah, I know. I appreciate that take. It's uh, definitely insightful, and I like the 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 focus on just like the the end goal here. And it is at the end of the day, like you know, there's a lot of pieces to put together to get to that angle, but what is that angle and in, in activating that customer data, especially from, from a marketing perspective there based, based on these, like uh, these components that we just chatted about, like, w- would you characterize high touch as more than just the reverse ETL component from that list of eight? Is it accurate to say that high touch does everything in that list of eight, except like the tracking component, the ETL and the data warehouse component, like you have id resolution uh features uh that you talk about on your site there's the audience segmentation component powered by customer studio there's obviously the reverse DTL. it's just the core platform you talked about data quality and governments with uh with hipaa compliance like really out of the eight that that i mentioned there's like obviously the data warehouse that's not part of that like that's the 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 focus of the the composable row but like is it fair to say that like the the composable cdp with high touch paired with a cdi and an etl on your data warehouse is like replicating the legacy cdp
1: yeah yeah i mean where we've been heading we started off with just reverse etl you know we found that there's tons of data in, in people's data warehouses that they needed in their marketing tools and in fact just all sorts of tools around the business and that's why we founded uh the concept of reverse CTL initially and had a whole argument with my co-founders again, on whether that's the term we should, we should go (laughs) on, but it was a great, great decision to, to bet on that term and catalyze that space. Uh, And then we added audience segmentation, but that was a part of the, the vision of high touch from the beginning is actually something we worked on given our segment roots before reverse CTL. Um, but yeah, I mean, fast forward a few years, we've added capabilities for pretty much, uh, everything that, that you mentioned with the exception um of uh etl so uh, or or a collection of data which are the first two things you mentioned so how does the data get into the warehouse in the first place uh we do not provide that functionality uh at touch um currently um not going to say it's not something we're going to pursue in the future we see mm-hmm. it as a as a as a sort of Offering that's potentially trending towards commoditization. There's a hundred, hundred different ways I could recommend a company to collect events specifically into their data warehouse. Everything from Google Analytics to Amplitude to Snowplow to Mix Panels to to Segment to Particle to you know our customers are successfully using all of these solutions to collect events into their warehouse. So um, it's not something we're philosophically against, uh, but we haven't we haven't prioritized that functionality. Uh, today at High Touch because it doesn't seem like the biggest gap in the market, but everything else you mentioned, yeah, we have a way of doing that in the composable CDP approach in High Dutch, which is I think something that really differentiates us when you compare us to other solutions that use the composable CDP term but just offer like reverse ETL or maybe a little UI to to build aware clauses, but not a full on product for for marketers or uh, or audience segmentation. Um, so yeah, we do offer all those things, including identity resolution, doing a huge announcement about advancing our products there today, um, which you may have seen or, or will see shortly. Um, and what I would say is that these solutions, these, these components of the CDP all get better with the composable approach and the way they get better is that they can, they don't require a lot of engineering work to set up. Like while CDPs are saying they're for the marketer. You can't implement it without six to twelve months of work that your engineers need to do for you. Um, so, with high touch, we take out the engineering effort of tapping into existing data sources across the whole business and get marketers building audiences at very complicated companies like Warner Music Group. Uh, we have a case study with them and Snowflake Online. We we make that happen in a matter of weeks, which is a huge advantage. Uh, and then two. Um, by being built on the warehouse and not having an opinion or a worldview view for how your business's data should be, you know we don't tell Warner Music and Petsmart that their data should look like GameStop's data or that it should look like mm. a 200-person Shopify store. Or, you know the classic, the classic use cases. We don't, we don't, we don't uh, have an opinion on those. Um, that that gives businesses a whole new level of flexibility that allows them to personalize uh, based on uh, what's unique about them and their customers. For example, the example I provided about, you know, PetsFAR being able to use their pets loyalty system or NBA using being able to use their in-game analytics to personalize their uh, their customer journeys. Um, and that applies not just to reverse ETL and audience building, but every component you mentioned of the CDP, so things like identity resolution, using all your different data sources, not just the CDP data source, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. So,
0: very cool. Yeah, I appreciate the the breakdown there. It's definitely an exciting space, and uh, like I, I think even just a year before, uh, like I, I didn't really, I uh, wasn't super familiar with the the composable term, but it is really exciting and definitely fascinating. Uh, but it, like speaking to folks that are you know are on, on both sides of the debate, um, some of the folks that are critical of the composable route have said that the whole debate is stemming from the desire to package reverse ETL tools in a way that sells to marketers, but causes a bunch of confusion. I know that you talked about like some of the different components and you're not just reverse ETL, but last year you wrote three uh, pretty uh, controversial blog posts. First, you said CDPs are dead. Then you said your CDP should be your data warehouse. And more famously, friends don't let friends buy a CDP. And I know this uh definitely was valuable in, in driving new customers and, and and people to the site. And your, your current homepage actually says that high touch is a fast, flexible, affordable CDP alternative. Technically, like we just kind of covered, uh, high touch doesn't have the the tracking component, the CDI or the ETL components. So, is Hightouch really able to replace a legacy CDP today? Curious what your take is here, and if it, it's more accurate to say that like high touch is a CDP alternative when combined with a data warehouse and Snowplow and Five Tran, for example. Curious what your take is.
1: Great question. Great, great, great question. Have this discussion internally all the time. Um, so. You know, I would love to say that on the website, I touch to say, <laughs> is a great CDP alternative when combined with Snowplow and FiveTran. And as much as I love those solutions, it's just not accurate, right? Yeah. Um, when I look at our enterprise customers and I, I wrote this blog post as well called, you don't need the modern data stack to get shit done. And that was a, a bit of a piece that took off in the data community. and And I cite a statistic there, which is that actually less than 20% of our enterprise clients um, use a, another solution from the quote-unquote modern data stack. So I think the CDPs are saying, oh, high touch, you know, you need a modern data stack to be able to pursue that. It's only for the most modern technology business. It's only for data teams, mm. et cetera. It's not true. You know, less than 20% of our customers are using a solution like Snowplow, 5Trend, DBT. Uh, for most of them, high touch is the only solution they're using in a quote-unquote modern data stack. Other than Snowflake, DataBricks, Google BigQuery, like other than a data warehouse, which I think it's it's hard to say that's modern data stack now. That's like basically the the default data stack if you mm-hmm. look at Snowflake's a public company metrics at this point. Um, they're they're in like you know the majority of the Fortune five hundred, um, and a lot of the other companies. Um, but yeah, I think here's what I would say. You know, we we power data activation for some of the largest companies in the world, um, like the ones that we have on our website um and they use high touch to activate all their data for marketing here's what i would say you know we power marketing data activation for some of the largest companies in the world and they call us their cdp right they use us as their cdp internally because instead of using high touch you know they uh, are not they don't have to buy a cdp now or they churned off a customer data platform which is the case for some of our companies like blizzard activation one of the largest gaming companies in the world they're previously on the customer data platform same with warner same with you know, red ventures etc won't name names here but they were all on customer data platforms <laughs> before uh, but our product doesn't look exactly like a cdp you're right um and some of the things i mean we're only really missing one thing which is that data collection part um you know we we always find a way to offer that to our customer whether it's through partners like snowplow and in the future, we're already working on ways to make that easier and easier for our clients, so that it's not a blocker, and so that we can focus. They can focus on what's most important, which is being successful at activating their data. Um, and that's really our differentiator at to High Touch, making sure marketing teams are successfully able to activate their data and uh, and personalize. Um, the other thing I will mention is that um, in our first blog post, CDPs are dead. Uh, we we said something at the beginning, <laughs> which was that you know. Every CDP is basically going gonna to pivot uh, to our approach at Hytesh over the mm-hmm. next few years, uh, or go extinct. And um, sorry, probably not exactly what I wrote in the blog post, but something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And I do think you can start to see that happening in the space. Um, so what I'll say is that you know we're we're kind of leading the way for what the future of CDP looks like, which is an architecture where companies own their own data, have infinite flexibility. Um, are able to activate across all different channels in the company um and are able to have marketers in the product um and uh we feel confident that that's what the, the future of the space looks like and that uh you know what high is building today will, j- will just be because you know will, will be what all the cdps are, are sort of pivoting to
0: uh in the future very cool yeah thanks for that i think that uh I agree. Like we are seeing that that trend already. A lot of uh, the legacy CDPs have added integrations and, and connections to uh, a bunch of different warehouse uh, vendors to to do exactly what you kind of predicted in in that first blog post. about about uh, you know modernizing the, their stack a bit, if you will. And in I forget which of those three articles it was, but in in one of them you highlighted this idea of the conflict arising within organizations due to the misalignment between the truth in C. CDPs used by marketers, and then in the data warehouse used by analysts, and this leads to incomplete data in CDPs and in complications and arguments about reconciling metrics. Do you think, yeah, like how can you have this you know,
1: single source of truth that the CDPs advertise when what you're using to activate your customer experiences right. is, is completely different than what your marketing analyst is using to analyze if those experiences are driving efficacy in the business? Right. So exactly, we're really all about using one set of data across the board. And we believe that's the data set that is fully flexible and you as a company can own. Um, yeah. So marketers can really take control.
0: As like a marketing user and end user, I've definitely felt that uh, that argument like in, in real life. Um, but like my question for you is, do you think that this problem about like the, the the truth of data and this reconciliation of metrics, do you think it can be solved by tech or architecture? Or does it require more of a fundamental change in the operational approach between marketing and data teams?
1: Yeah, totally great question. So, as much as I would love to just say, you know, we solve this whole problem at High Touch, and you know, it goes away. It's not true. Uh, any any software vendor that says they solve any sort of collaboration problem um, between uh, between uh, teams at a company um, is is over promising. What I would say is that um, high provides a good framework or way of thinking that I think allows companies to be more successful at solving these problems, right? Okay. So in reality, in order to have your marketing team working on the same set of data that your analyst team and data team is using to analyze the efficacy of their campaigns and just to have you know, one set of data across the company, there's some human work necessary for that. Um, right? There needs to be some coordination between the marketing team and the data team at the company. With Hitesh, what I would say is that um, in order to be successful with any data initiative at a company, you kind of need the business to work well with the uh, the IT and the data team. That's just like necessary. Um, if you look at the 30, 40% of uh, CDP initiatives that are successful, they're going to be ones where there is strong alignment and collaboration between those teams. While every vendor wants to say that, you know, a CDP allows you to break free of data and IT and technology teams. It's just not the case. If you look mm-hmm. at the ones that are successful, it's kind of no different when it comes to a composable CDP or high touch or any other platform, those teams need, need to, 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 to collaborate together uh, in a strong way. Uh, but we provide a good framework to do that, which is allowing them to work on the same source of truth and the same set of data and to use the investment of the data that the companies already have in these data warehouses. So we don't solve the problem as a whole. We provide a framework that allows more companies uh, to be successful um, at solving this problem, um, but there's a cultural side of it, um, which I think you'll see as correlated to just success for any marketing data initiative, regardless of what technology you're employing at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely felt this uh, in in smaller companies that I've been part of, but also bigger companies too, where you know market martech teams are just as big as the data teams, and there's also an IT team, and everyone has a perspective about like how we solve this and and where that source of truth should live, and all these other teams working in silos and building their own data warehouses, and marketing having a CDP, and so I, I like your approach there and saying that like uh, high touch doesn't solve everything, it doesn't solve the problem, but you're providing the framework and you're part of those solution there. And ultimately there is always going to be a people part of that solution there and people needing to come together and data teams and marketing teams needing to, to align on some of those solutions.
1: Exactly. And that's why I love stuff like what ARPIT's putting out with database and you know right. trying to explain data a little bit of data concepts to the the marketing professionals and trying to explain a little bit of marketing concepts. To the data professionals I think that's something we're doing at high touch um and that that's necessary uh you know marketing doesn't need to be talking about sql and data engineering any solution that that says that needs to happen not not going to happen uh, and data doesn't need to be you know uh building marketing campaigns either um but you need you need software that uh when we think about ideal customer profile i think it's something you were talking about earlier we need software that's really easy to use by the marketing team that works on top of the data and the technical foundation from the data team and allows those teams to have a framework to really easily uh, collaborate. And companies like Hitech also need the, the consultative attitude and customer success teams and partnerships to be able to guide enterprises, especially through that journey too. Um, but it's not completely a software problem. Or that would be great. Maybe if everything's powered <laughs> by by AI, then it can be a software problem.
0: <laughs> Love it. Yeah, a, a related topic on on this whole idea of like, Um, does the data warehouse need to become your, your central source of truth, uh, like one one topic that we've gotten pretty deep onto in in the podcast recently and chatted with a, a bunch of different experts on this is i think the martech industry is moving to this idea of a warehouse native approach where instead just like the high touch is doing instead of making a copy of your data warehouse like most cdps and marketing automation and customer engagement platforms do today everything lives on top of the data warehouse data is near real time or is, as much as possible and you don't have to pay for copying your, your database. And I have only come a f- across a few of these tools on the customer engagement side, some on, on the product analytics side as well. Uh, Hightouch essentially is doing this, right? Like you guys are a warehouse native activations tool uh, sitting on You're top sure. of the data warehouse and you don't store any of that data at rest. What does the future hold, in your opinion, for for MarTech? And and how does it potentially increasingly integrate with the cloud warehouse? And do you think that warehouse-native customer engagement platforms remove the need to buy and maintain a data pipeline solution like a reverse CTL tool?
1: Yeah, uh, great, great question. Um, Yeah, I have an interesting opinion on this. So first and foremost, I think uh, the launch of these warehouse-native customer engagement tools, or you know, CDPs adding features that start to import data from the warehouse. Or mm-hmm. I, I still predict what I said in the blog post: in, in a couple of years, you know, all the existing martech providers will start to copy the the page of of Hydes and start talking <laughs> about how the warehouse is source so of truth. I already here. see it end up it happening iteratively in the space. Um, will they be able to repot from their products? It's a different question. But yeah, mm-hmm. all of this is, 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 uh, you know, validating that um, Martech and data can't be separate and these worlds need to intersect. And that the reality is whether you like it or not, it's not really a debate. The The source of truth that a lot of businesses is becoming the internal data platform like Snowflake and Databricks, et cetera. I mean, marketing teams do agree with this, whether they say it or they don't. If you ask them, Usually what I ask them is, you know, um, if you want to know how your campaigns are doing, what do you look at today? Uh, it's, it's generally like a, a report. Where is that report? It's in a BI tool. Where is that BI tool? Something like Tableau. Where is that Tableau or Power BI or Looker or whatever sitting on top of it? Sitting on top of a data warehouse. And that's where the gravity of data is in the organization. So um, I am not bullish on... Um, i'll go out there and say i'm just not bullish on warehouse native uh marketing tools coming in and taking over the braids and the salesforce marketing clouds of the world Uh, also it just doesn't really make sense like you know there's there's not just email platforms when it comes to marketing there's advertising channels there's personalizing your apps there's all these all these different channels and those can't really re-platform onto the data warehouse so i'm not i'm not really bullish on that whole trend i don't think enough marketers care about the data warehouse to frankly decide whether to go with a Salesforce Braze or Adobe or, or yeah, Vera or message gears or castle mm-hmm. based on whether it integrates with the warehouse. Um, marketers need to use their, uh, their, their data. Uh, they need to use their data across their tools and channels and solutions like high touch, uh, make that really, really easily easy without saying you need to move to another tool to build campaigns or to manage your email templates or to do all these mm-hmm. things that are fundamentally not related to the concept of data activation. This is all IP warming, and there's all sorts of concerns that a customer engagement or ESP platform handles that just not related to the data warehouse. So, um, whereas in the CDP space, every single concern you mentioned out of those eight is a data problem in some way. Data right. quality, data governance, privacy, uh, collection, identity resident; those are all data problems. That's not the case for ESP. So yeah, personally, I'm quite bearish on this uh, this trend of creating a new startup that's a warehouse first take on an existing software category, like a marketing platform, because it doesn't matter to the business teams or to the end user, like marketers, as long as they can use data effectively across their tools. And high touch is a much more, while, while the warehouse data platform is, Philosophically, it seems like the future and the right way of doing things. None of that, none of that matters. You know, what, what matters is can you use data effectively across these tools and and high to solves that pointed problem? The easiest, fastest way for your organization without saying, you know, get a new data warehouse, get a new email platform, etc. Uh, which I think is the, the novelty of it.
0: Yeah, super interesting. I love uh, I love your take there. Thanks for sharing that. I think that uh, while I agree that most marketers like Don't really care whether like a customer engagement platform is warehouse native or not at the end of the day they just want the data they'll work with the data team and figuring figuring out a way to to get it there and while i do think that like a lot of these like newcomers in the space like castled i'm I'm chatting with their founder uh in 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 a few weeks like he's found those guys by the way yeah yeah they they've got a really interesting niche like they they, they like tried enterprise first and didn't really work out because like you said, they're, they're in those like legacy tools, the marketing clouds yeah, and, yeah. Like, the brazes and the iterables. And like, you can't get them off those tools. Like there's too much technical debt to, to, to migrate off those platforms. But they have a, a niche in like the startup space where a marketing team that is really young and scrappy and they don't have a ton of technical debt and they're not married to an automation platform. And they have a unique use case where maybe they have like, a ton of investment in organic SEO. So they're spending a ton of money on Segment right now or in a Braze or an Iterable to have a ton of users in their database that aren't paying customers because they want to like nurture them or eventually turn them into to customers. So they're part of that lifecycle journey and they're paying for them to be in that copy of the database. The idea of a warehouse native tool like Castled is like, we don't charge you based on the database size of users that you have in here. Like if all of these users aren't paying customers, that's fine. Like we're not charging you if you have a million users or 5,000 users. So from that angle, it's really interesting because I've been part of two startups, like my current one and at Close, the CRM tool, we had a ton of users that we were paying for in our CDP and in our marketing automation platform. And like not a ton of those users were paying customers, but outside of like the startup space, Castled is like super new, a newcomer. But message yeah. gears has been around for a long time and they've been like quote unquote doing this connected apps side of things. Yeah. But they haven't just been doing that. Like they they offer the ability to integrate with a bunch of different sources. If you're not warehouse native, like you don't have to be. But if you have a snowplow or a snowflake or a, a BigQuery and you have everything in there already and you care a lot about PHI and PII, you can like use message gear right on top of that data warehouse. And we never make a copy of your PAI or your PHI data so we're we don't have to be HIPAA compliant like we are by default because we're not making a copy of that data and they've been super successful they work with like enterprise retail companies but yeah it's been fascinating to to just like explore this space yeah
1: yeah I mean uh a few things there first first off when I say I'm not bullish on you know solutions like castle the bureau and message Gears, etc I don't mean to say that there's not a good business to build in those categories. I think that's the, the wrong wrong thing to say. What, what's what's Scott Brinker's market map again? It's like the Martech 5,000 or something yeah, like that. there's 11,000 now. There's a lot of great businesses to build in Martech. And there's a lot of great integrations for us to build in high touch. You know, I mentioned to you, I was just over in Asia last week and every country there has their own prominent kind of domestic ESP or customer engagement platform that's it's localized to their language and all sorts of things. So there's a lot of businesses to build in market. I could, I'm hoping and I'm betting that those companies will all be successful in their own right. Um, what I really mean this to say is like, do I think that this is a platform shift? You know, do I think that uh, there's a platform shift as big as cloud software here mm-hmm. um, that's going to remove Salesforce and Adobe and Braze and replace them with message gears and Bureau and Castle? no I, I personally don't think so i think there is a platform shift that's going to affect every software that's data intensive uh like the cdp space um and i think there's a lot of benefits for marketing teams and data and it teams around this um, but i don't think it's going to replace all the end SaaS apps or at least not in the next few years and uh, i don't think starting with startups like kind of winning the startup space and the tech forward startup space has been a really effective business strategy at winning the overall market when you look at the marketing technology space. I mean, you have, again, great businesses in isolation like Customer.io, um, Vero, et cetera, that have done fantastic at building a business on the startup space. But, um, you know, those tools are not replacing like Salesforce Marketing Cloud or Adobe Marketing Cloud and, uh, and Companies that focus on doing that from the beginning and build for the complexity of enterprises like Braze and Interval and stuff like that do you have a shot at that. But even for them, it's difficult. These are giant platforms. So our approach has always been, you know, what's the problem you have as a company? And that's you need to activate your data. You need to personalize uh, your your customer experiences. You need to uplevel your marketing. You don't need a new email tool to do that. You don't mm-hmm. need a new way to manage templates and manage IP addresses to send your emails and um, uh, you know open you know email open link analytics and all that sort of, you just don't need all those new platforms to do that you need a way to integrate what's going on in the data side of your business uh, with what's going on in the marketing side of your business and advertising side of your business and customer service center side of your business and in every you know, business team across your business really well and and Hyde that's just uh, the easiest way to do that so that's what we've always focused on.
0: Love it! Thanks for uh, thanks for breaking that down. I definitely agree with the, a lot of what you said there. I've got two last questions for you. I know we're we're a bit over on time, so I appreciate you uh, going over a little bit there. I wanna I wanna touch on AI. Like it's impossible to do a podcast right now without chatting about AI and. Uh, I feel like we talked a lot about data and data is definitely like one of the prerequisites to being able to do anything interesting with with AI, but we've been super deep down the rabbit hole recently doing a bunch of stuff uh, uh, on the podcast, but I feel like chatting with marketers in the space today, especially early stage marketers, there is like the first thought around like fear-based and like doom based AI replacing or like really radically changing marketing jobs. And uh, just curious your take from like what you've uh, seen in the market already, or, or what you've kind of played with. What do you think are the challenges that AI has to replace everything a marketer does today?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great topic. Uh, again, can't have a podcast without, can't have a podcast, <laughs> yeah. customer call, investor meeting, or <laughs> all hands without talking about AI these days. Um, so, and rightfully so. I mean, Chat GPT is pretty damn cool. So I'm using it a bit every day in my job. Uh, so, um, yeah, great, fantastic question. Uh, I think what I would say is that AI has a lot of potential in marketing. Um, there is just so many, there's just so, so much that happens when it comes to marketing data, experimentation, where uh, people just try a few things or go with their gut because they don't have the tools and capabilities to try every permutation. Or to be able to, you know, generate a hundred more audiences, et cetera. And I think the writing is on the wall to say that there's applications of generative AI as well as just reinforcement learning to, you know, bring these capabilities to marketers and the, the way the way they run experiments, especially, and build campaigns today. Um, so I am bullish on on AI in marketing the same way that I've been bullish on giving marketers access to all the data in the data warehouse. I'm bullish on giving them access to all the powerful capabilities in data platforms like Databricks and Snowflake, which I believe will be leaders in the AI space, in the enterprise. Um, so very bullish on the trend, but I don't think AI is going to you know, replace the marketing department of uh, of companies anytime soon. Um, anyone who's spent a reasonable amount of time in marketing... Um, Including the more quantitative areas of marketing, like demand generation and um, you know performance marketing, understand the impact of of qualitative changes, all right, versus just data driven activities. Um, and that, that that's the you know I've had to learn as a CEO. I've had to learn how to interview for the marketing role, which is not a, a profession I worked in before. And I look um, for them. you know people who understand the quantitative side of things and the qualitative side of things. Use intuition and use. Um, and use uh, reasoning and talk to customers, and just use like a couple insights to just make huge strategic changes and experiments that can totally affect the outcomes of programs. Um, and I think right now, as, as impressive as things like ChatGPT are, um, you know, generative AI is not the, is not at the state where it can fully replace like human intelligence as much as it can augment and superpower human intelligence. Um, so I think you know eventually. Here might be a world where where uh, that AI can totally replace the, the role of a of a of a marketer, but then we have other problems as a society. Maybe <laughs> some singularity type problems at that point. And we have bigger problems to worry about uh, across across every job and not just marketing. Um, but to not be a doomist here, I mean, I think the the likely case is that over the next few years we will see a radical change to the role of a marketer. Um but it'll be more of an augmentation, I think, which uh, is just, just like we're bringing all the the access to, you know, all the data around a business to the marketer and that's a huge unlock. They don't have to ask for CSVs or ask for specific like scripts to be built anymore to do things. And they can, you know, play around with the data, build audiences, understand how many customers are in different cohorts in a self-service way. I think the power of AI needs to come to every aspect of marketing from brand to, uh, to planning to Audience segmentation to one-to-one personalization to experimentation. which I think is a really, really, really big one, actually, uh, and uh, and augment those capabilities.
0: So, but love your take there. Uh, totally agree. Definitely more on the excited side of of uh, of AI and, and augmenting marketers than than being scared about uh, replacing jobs there. But yeah, who who knows? In in fifteen years, with with how fast uh, the the stuff is changing right now. Uh, Listen, I really appreciate your, your time. Uh, I'll ask you one last question. Um, you're a co-founder, co-CEO, leading a company of 170 plus people. You're a developer, a speed reader, a home chef, a deadlifter, a melomaniac, an airline critic. You've got a lot going on. Uh, one question we ask all of our guests is how do you remain happy and successful in your career? How do you find balance between all the things you're working on while staying happy?
1: wow now i'm scared you know i need to do some research on myself and get chat (laughs) gpt and see if this is the trick that you're using to find out all this information about me um but i mean yeah it's a great question um i'm a human too we're all we're all humans and people's here and uh people here and i i i stay happy and and keep keep being motivated and find strike that balance by by really. Investing in my personal relationships and family, friends, um, and and all the activities outside of work that you mentioned. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows that every every three to six months I have some new new hobby. Um, <laughs> so work is the is the consistent intense thing that that I have to put my all into every day and be stressed about with the ups and downs of the company. And outside of work, I, I you know, take passion. Being a amateur and uh, not being great, and a bunch of other things. Whether it's uh, trying some new recipes with my girlfriend, or <laughs> trying to get into powerlifting, or um, bought a harmonica and I play that from time to time. Um, all sorts of all sorts of different things for for short stints. Uh, and finding joy out of the, the simple things outside of work. Um, until I'm replaced by AI, I guess. Given your last question. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Amazing. Really appreciate the that answer. I think, uh, yeah, hobbies are are definitely endless. Uh, I'm sure I probably could have uh, come up with a, a longer list uh, on on that question there, but yeah, I'm uh, glad you didn't.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> thanks so much for your time. Uh, anything you want to plug to to the audience? I know we chatted a lot about high touch, but you mentioned some ID resolution stuff coming up. Anything you want to plug?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, first off, thanks for having me on the show, Phil. Really appreciate it, and thanks to anyone who's gotten this far and just listening to to us talk for this long. Um, uh, I'd say two things. One, we're shipping a lot at High Touch. Um, at the day this was recorded, we we just announced our latest fundraising and new product, which takes our identity resolution capabilities to the next level. Uh, we don't have any, um, you know opinions or beliefs at what features we should or should build, we build for our customers. So we are releasing lots of new capabilities over the next six months, including some of the, you know, collection capabilities and you know, event capabilities that we talked about. So anyone wants to jam on this stuff more, um, reach out to me. Uh, tejas, T-E-J-A-S, at itouch.com Or I'm just my first and last name on any social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, threads, you name it. Um, so... <laughs> reach out and let's jam on this stuff. Let's talk about the future of the CDP space or uh, personalizations that you want to run across your company. Uh, And thanks for having me, Phil.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Tejas. Uh, Yeah, look forward to seeing the continued success of uh, uh, High Dutch. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Amazing. Thank you, Phil.